agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. How are you doing this morning? I'm I'm doing uh, fantastic, actually. This is uh, an exciting project we're going to be starting off here, but... Uh... Um, yeah, you got some words to, to say about last week's show and, and other exciting events coming up with politics, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am looking forward to this a Federalist Papers project as well. But but yeah, just really briefly before we get into that, uh, listeners, as, as you know, that last week was our first episode where I co-hosted with May Mailman, and I, I really enjoyed having her on. And I just wanted to kind of let folks know what was going on with that. If you've been a listener for a while, you'll you'll recall that we used to have a hosting team of of me, uh, I, Kristen, and I hosted the show together. And uh, uh, Kristen, unfortunately, was basically driven from the show by some knuckleheads who decided that they didn't like what she had to say, and they were going to try to get her in trouble or fired at her day job uh, for that, which. God. Um, but in any case, so I totally understand her decision to do that. But since she's left, our, our partisan balance has been, I think, a little more left than I would like. And certainly, gee, I think you'd agree that, you know, the DNA of this show is, well, left and right. And it's been a little bit more left than right since Kristen left. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I've had to work a whole lot harder. Mike. You know, exactly. Not that I can't do it. But and now and, and, and Jay and, and some of my friends on, on the right have have binders of, of binders full of women, <laughs> uh, conservative <laughs> women. And after after looking through those binders, uh, Jay uh, suggested, well, you know, maybe we should talk to talk with me. And and, and I did. And it was just that we had just a great conversation. And she came on, on the show. and. Uh, you know, a few people mentioned, well, it seemed sort of like in, in that first episode that May had more time than you did, Mike. And my first thought was, really? And so I did what I'd like to think any good social scientist did. I went to the data and I looked at the audio and, yeah, it was kind of like 5743 May. And I think there were some reasons for that. Number one is she was just kind of new to the show and I was kind of curious to what she would have to say about certain things and, and just wanted to be more welcoming. But, but also I think the topics that we had in the news cycle that week, the, the Durham report, immigration, the Republican presidential field, and those Supreme court decisions, they just happened to be things that we agreed on, I think to a certain extent, you know, on Durham, Jay, you'll recall that from the beginning, I was saying that, Hey, I think there should be, you know, I, I was in favor of Barr appointing him and I think he's a straight, straight shooting kind of guy and we should take seriously you know what he says and so that's maybe not the progressive left line on john durham but it was my line and so i think it's just kind of how it went but uh in the future and i think may is uh planning on being back on a on a regular basis and certainly i'm happy about that it'll be a little bit there'll probably be a little bit more disagreement i would expect but uh anyway i just wanted to let folks know about that i'm excited to have maybe part of the show and to kind of bring back more of a straight down the line conservative liberal a balance that that jay and i founded the show on so there we go 
All right. So, Jay, the Federalist Papers, you're a big fan. So with, yeah, right. You, I'm a big fan. And, and, and this is uh, a project that uh, came to my mind uh, early in the year. Um, uh, part of my my job as, as of late, I've done a, a fair number of, of briefs where I've gone back to consult the Federalist Papers. And I, I got to the point of I really enjoyed reading them. And it's one of these I um, I had read the Federalist Papers uh, back in college and read perhaps in quotes. Right. There may have been sort of some skimming involved and, and maybe skipped a couple of them. Um, uh, but it, it brought back a familiarity. And, and with anything of, of, you know, when you read it, when you're young, a lot of times um, it, uh, it it it, it uh, you it's wasted on the youth, on, on the youth is wasted on the young sort of thing. Um, you don't fully appreciate it uh, uh, then um, as you do later in life. Um, and particularly later in life, after you've had more experience with, with politics and law and government and all that. Uh, so uh, I sat down and started reading through um, uh, the Federalist Papers. And I was struck by um, how they speak really to our times, uh, and uh, it's it's we'll we'll go through some some pieces and quotes, but stuff that uh, could be written uh, today um, in in addressing a divided country, uh, and also how you argue and and uh, the virtues of the back and forth of of argument. Um, so and and also some some sort of things that I think are are timeless uh, timeless parts of of what are the American character um, that you and I talk about every now and again, Mike. Um, but this really brings it into to really pretty clear relief, I think, in that some of these these arguments um, are are so right on uh, compared to arguments that are having that are going on today, uh, balancing uh, a, a, an effective government with liberty. Right. That those are big, big issues and, and the reactions that that, that engenders in both. Um, so the other reason, you know, Mike, that that, you know, I guess the question, uh, not the reason, um, is why should we, you know, be care about what these uh, group of, of uh, dead white men said, uh, you know, 230 years ago. Up to that, did I do that right? 200 more or less 230 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> More, more or less. I, I should have counted out the. But anyway, um, and and a, to me, there's a couple big reasons, and I, I ran across this almost just serendipitously um, in in other reading. Is that you know, in in terms of United States, we define ourselves, and it's almost a cliche, right? But as a nation built on ideas, rather than a a, a nation that arose. Out of some, uh, here's where this tribe lived on this side of the river uh, for the last thousand years until some other tribe had come and, you know, before they, when they kicked out some other tribe. Um, but this is a nation that is actually built on, on concepts and ideas. And it's important, I think, to go back and see what those ideas are uh, and were. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to necessarily agree with those ideas because there's always the, that, that, response, right, of, of well, why should we care what people 230 years ago said? Um, and some of those some of those very same type people, although he wasn't involved in, in drafting the Federalist Papers, but Thomas Jefferson would have, would have agreed with you, right? Um, uh, some of the anti-Federalists that we're going to talk about also would have, would have agreed with that position of, look, this, this shouldn't be permanent. This is, uh, this is an arrangement for this generation, and, 
other people should figure it out. Um, so I think that's 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 a fair argument. Um, but in order to have that argument, you have to start with here's what those ideas actually were. Um, and another piece in, in De Tocqueville, Mike, who I know you're you're a fan of, wrote. In order that society should exist, it's required that the minds of the citizens should be rallied and held together by certain predominant ideas. Um, likewise, I mean, this this comes up again in uh, Lincoln's first inaugural uh, when he talks about the mystic, mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land. Um, that The idea is that, that we've got something shared. We have a, a shared heritage, and that shared heritage applies to people who were born here, people who moved here, people uh, who are coming here tomorrow. Uh, and, and to me, that's that's incredibly important uh, in terms of, of when we have this, this very divided country. Uh, let's look at what were these, these uh, shared ideas that uh, it's founded upon um, and uh, take a look at the, and, and the Federalist Papers. I will also throw this in, Mike. Um, the the uh, edition I'm working off of uh, is edited by Robert Siciliano, um, but it has a book blurb, which is perhaps one of the, the most, the greatest, you know, like little blurbs that you'll ever find. And on the front it says, the best commentary on the principles of government which was ever written, Thomas Jefferson. Um, so it, it's when you've got, when you got a blurb from Thomas Jefferson, that says the the best commentary on government. Um, I think it's it's worthwhile to to take a look. So you know, with that, I, I would also say all of all of this this show will pair well with drum and fife music and a uh, hard cider. Um, so if you if you have that handy, I, I'd encourage you to get that. And the other piece that with the Federalist Papers uh, is that this is readily available online from about a thousand different sources, uh, or there were so many editions that you can order. Um, online, get from your library that also come with with helpful commentary. But uh, th this is uh, why we're bringing this to you. Well, you know, Jay, I when I reread, and I also did probably more skimming than reading, and, and even less skimming than you did, certainly, I was struck first by the language. And the language, I think I should point out, is both strangely compelling and also, I think challenging to modern to many modern readers because these these are people who wrote who thought in paragraphs, and so it does take a little bit of getting into. In other words, this is not the sort of thing you want to read when you're trying to do two or three other things. It 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 asks for your attention, but I think it also rewards that attention. There's a musicality in uh, there, there's a you know there's a, a poetry in the way that they write. When I say they, and we talk about the Federalists, this is largely the Hamilton-Madison letters. Jay wrote a few of them, but he got sick early on and, and so wasn't able to do a whole lot. So something like Hamilton wrote around two-thirds and Madison around a third, roughly. Uh, so, but, you know, I, th I think it's interesting, Jay, that uh, Hamilton, Madison, and Jay were both members of, I love this name, the Constitutional Convention's Committee of Style, uh, <laughs> which, which reminded me of that 80s band, uh, Style Council. <laughs> not, not much of an overlap there, but, but no, style really is important. And it's a wonderful thing to see, uh, I think. And, and so just on style alone, 
It's beautiful, the real, as well as we'll be talking about the anti-federalists. Uh, and, and some of that is, is, is wonderful stuff to read for the same reasons, because people don't write like that anymore. And maybe that's a good thing generally, but it's nice to kind of dip back into that and, and appreciate the rhythms of a different age. So I just wanted to make that well, stylistic I, note. And actually, Mike, you sort of stole one of my other points that I was about to make, and I was sort of thinking, oh, geez, I forgot to say that. Um, but that's exactly, there is a, a sheer aesthetic pleasure, uh, you know, in, in reading this stuff, I think. Um, I, I once had a, a history professor who said that um, classical liberalism uh, sounds like Mozart, uh, right? And, and, and this, there, there is, there's a balance. There is this, this harmony, this back and forth. Um, and I would say the Federalist Papers sound is sort of appropriate to when they're written. Uh, not quite in Mozart, but maybe early Beethoven, right? Um, Mozart with the uh, the little injection of some some revolutionary zeal. Um, so I, I I I think that that what you hit on the poetry, the musicality, um, is is great. And yeah, it's they're they're worth reading just for the sheer literary value. I think. Um, and as you said, the language can be a little um, obtuse sometimes, but in other ways, you read it and you're like. Wow, I couldn't have said that any clearer. Um, um, and I also, I'm still, you know, stunned with, you know, these are people who are writing with quill and pen and having to go back and cross stuff out and rewrite and start over, and uh, as opposed to, you know, just cutting and pasting, um, you know, that sort of thing that 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 we do. Um, uh, so that uh, I think this is this is a fantastic project. So. Uh, with that, I mean, I think I will will lead off just with a, a you quick, know what, um, I was going to oh, go say. What, one more thing, and maybe maybe you were getting at this, but uh, before we get into the the Federalist Papers per se, I, I I thought maybe we could talk just briefly about the Anti Federalists. They haven't come up yet, but but I think to understand because in a weird way, and this is why I wanted to include the Anti Federalists. You know, we're we're about bipartisan argument or bipartisan discussion. Well. This was going on then, you know, it's setting the stage right about should we ratify this constitution? And there were these two camps. Uh, and I should point out that the, the Federalists very cleverly actually stole the uh, the moniker, the better moniker, when you could, I think, make a case that actually the anti-Federalists were the true Federalists, but they, the, Hamilton, I guess, grabbed that name, right? And so no one wants to yeah, be the antis. Yeah. But, but anyway, it, so maybe you were going to do that. But I think it's important to understand the context in which this was written so you can understand and why this was such a big deal at the time. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the importance that this is a, a dialogue. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, and the, I guess the, the context um, uh, historically is that uh, this began, the Federal Paper Project began shortly after the um, uh, Constitution uh, was drafted, uh, 1787, October of 1787. And the, the, of course, the reasons that the um, framers gathered to draft the Constitution, originally the plan was where they were going to get together and draft amendments to the Articles of Confederation, uh, which had been drafted, uh, one of the Federalist Papers mentioned, sort of in haste uh, during the Revolution. Uh, and the the, the uh, Articles of Confederation, going back to your uh, you know ninth grade civics, um, 
the problem was it was extremely weak. It was it was a sort of more a, a legislative uh, confederation type. Uh, everybody gets to talk, but there was no uh, executive function. Um, and and it, there was no sort of enforcement mechanism. And, and the problems that it had surfaced uh, in the years since the end of the revolution in 1783 uh, were were extreme. And, and we can, there, there was some debate about that. A lot of the anti-federalists say, ah, come on, complain, it's not that bad. <laughs> we don't need to throw out the entire government uh, just because of this. But uh, a lot of these issues had to do with uh, war debts. Uh, uh, some states, not really states then, um, well, I guess they were states. They were just their own, you know, not United States. Um, uh, you know, said, no, we're not going to be uh, uh, on the hook for these. Uh, uh, it should be borne by everyone. And some states said, well, we gave a whole lot more than others. Uh, uh, there were also these interstate rivalries uh, where where commerce from one state was being blocked by another. Uh, printing of, of money uh, from different states, uh, you know, had you you had you just had a, a crazy economy. Um, uh War veterans were not getting paid pensions that they were were due. Um, there was there was uh, chaos. I think, Mike, to put it to put it mildly. So some of uh, uh, you know the Constitutional Project. And I, the, the book to read, I think, uh, is uh, Joseph Ellis's The Quartet. Um, and I suppose I can be forgiven, right? I mean, Joseph Ellis is sort of, I guess, a popular historian, and it is sort of it's not the serious multi-volume book that you could go and read about the the uh, Constitution Convention. But, not that you would. Uh, it makes it's the point, pardon? right? I mean, yeah. Right, right, exactly. And, and what I'm saying is Ellis is easier to get through. But it talks to you about uh, Washington, Hamilton, John Jay, um, uh, all of whom had this experience uh, in the in the war, that they tended to see the country as, as one nation uh, rather than uh, multiple states. And that was, that was a big issue because, Mike, historically even – and this sort of thing fascinates me, um, and, and we'll, we'll we'll touch on this uh, in in Federalist Two, and also in in Patrick Henry's response uh, uh, is that you know we talk about being one people, and in some ways we were, and in a lot of ways we weren't. Um, it, during the Revolutionary War, soldiers from the North had difficulty understanding people from the South. Literally, they almost literally spoke a different language. Um, and and their their regional variations were were, were such uh, um, a, a bigger deal. I mean, you think we have regional variations now? Uh, it, it much much uh, more so than um, if you can imagine, right? Before TV and radio, you wouldn't necessarily even hear how other people spoke unless you traveled there. Um, uh, but uh, uh, so they they gathered and, and uh, decided they what we needed was this this more strenuous uh, government uh, with an executive. But, you know, um, on that, that was one difference. But but I want to point out another difference as well is that it wasn't just sort of unified versus divided federal versus state government control. But that was certainly that was the, the key thing. But also there were these different notions of responsibility to the public, meaning that like the Federalists sort of viewed responsibility more generally as well. Okay. Yeah. You need to have direct responsibility to the people, some of that, but also there was much more of a concern from the Federalists about this sort of, well, responsibility to posterity and a concern about what the, 
passions of the mob might do. And so we need to kind of make sure that you don't have tyranny of the majority and, and write these factions. Whereas the anti-federalists were, I think, much more straightforward. No, you need to be responsive to the people because they were more concerned about the tyranny of the elites if there weren't that direct responsibility. So things like, what do you mean that the president's not going to be directly elected or that the small and large states are going to have similar representation in the Senate, which, by the way, isn't directly elected either in six-year terms and no term limits? Are you not? So, I mean, there were there were a lot of really fundamental differences in not just whether there should be a unified national government, but how responsive that government should be and in what ways that government should be responsive to the people. And that that echoes a lot of differences that we see still today. Exactly. The the concern about uh, elites and uh, also who is going to benefit from the new government there. You'll see in the strain of the anti-federalists. Uh, very much the argument that this will benefit the rich, the elite, uh, the money guys, right? Uh, the Hamilton type crowd. Um, uh, and you kind of conversely, the Federalists tend to argue, uh, sort of quietly, sort of, uh, sort of voce that, um, listen, no, this is really just a bunch of, of, uh, provincials who are trying to, uh, establish themselves as provincial big shots and are concerned with uh, sharing any authority with a, a federal government. Um, so, yeah, those are those are the types of, of uh, uh, debates that were going on then and are going on now. So with that, Mike, I, I, I'll lead off with uh, Federalist number one. We hope you enjoyed this preview of our supporters exclusive midweek show. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode, we hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Supporters get ad-free access to all of our shows, membership in our Politics Guys Discord group where you can join in on the conversation, and other benefits at different levels of support. To become a supporter, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politicsguys or through PayPal. You'll find all of our support links in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to become a financial supporter, that's not a problem. Just send me an email at mike at politicsguys.com, and I'll be happy to get that set up for you.